all of those that were in Adam at that, at that time uh, fell into a state of sin. And because of that, uh, all of Adam's children are sinners, okay? So as he, as he talks about that and, and pronounces that uh, here in this fifth chapter of the book of Romans, he then also goes on and says, there's also the, contra the contrary point or the, the opposite point. He says, while all of us are sinners because we're descendants of Adam, he said, all of those of us that were in Christ Jesus have been made alive and have been born again because we were in Christ Jesus. And he, and he, and he compares the two of them and, the, and what uh, Adam did and what Christ did and, and comes to this conclusion. So I'm going to go back to the end of the fifth chapter of the book of Romans for just a moment. And he says this. Therefore, by, in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all. And I'm reading in the third chapter of the book of, book of Romans instead of in the fifth chapter. I thought I had to turn to the fifth. Now that I'll turn over to the fifth chapter, maybe I'll read the right place. Uh, he says, therefore by the offense of one, judgment, verse 18, therefore by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the, uh, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. So as we look at this portion of scripture here in 18, and I, I could go back through the whole fifth chapter, but I, I, I don't want to do that to y'all or to me this morning by going back and redoing all the things we mentioned last Sunday. But the point being, if you were in Adam, and, and, uh, and you know, without getting into biology and all that kind of stuff here this morning, uh, every, every person that's ever been born on the face of the earth is a direct descendant of Adam, uh, the first man in the garden. And so uh, as we look at this, in, in a sense, all of his inheritance, all of his children were in Adam in that garden. And when Adam became a sinner, uh, we all became sinners also because we were in him. Now, he goes on then and makes, and makes this point. Now, Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, or in like manner, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. Now, the, the, the fatal mistake that many uh, theologians make out there today uh, when they look at a verse of Scripture like this is they look at these alls. They say all uh, in Adam and all in Christ are the same alls. Well, they're not uh, because we, we can turn over to the book of Ephesians and we find that we were chosen in Christ uh, before the foundation of the world. And... Uh, those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world are those that are in Christ, okay? And so uh, when he talks about the justification of uh, being to all men to the justification of life, he's talking about the all men that were in Christ, okay? For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That, same, that many would be every person that lives on the face of the earth. Uh, and he says, so by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous, and that many is the, are all those that are in Christ Jesus. So, uh, very beautiful picture if you think about it. I was thinking about this yesterday as, as I was meditating on some of these scriptures. If you go back over and look uh, in the uh, very first, uh, first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, you find over there where God created the heavens and the earth, and he made uh, the planets and the stars and the plant life and the animal life. And the very last thing he made on the last day was he made man. Uh, and he had man 
He, he brought all the animals before the man. The man named all the animals uh, after their kind. And uh, then, he, then God looks at Adam and, and says, uh, basically says, but there was no one for Adam. So he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Uh, and, uh, and when he did, he took of the rib from Adam and made and in, inside of Adam, and I'm going to put it that way, he took a rib that was inside of Adam and he brought that rib out and he made the woman and he brought the woman to the man uh, and she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, okay? So uh, I'm going to tell you today uh, uh, that that first man, Adam, had a woman brought out of his side uh, and, and given, to her, given to him to be his bride. Uh, when Christ died upon the cross, my friends, you were in Christ Jesus because God had chosen you to be in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And one of these, uh, and in a sense, we're being brought out of his side, if you will, and the, the, the bride of Christ is going to be given back to him one of these days, whole and complete and saved and redeemed because Christ died for that bride upon the cross, okay? Uh, so there's a beautiful picture as we look back at Genesis and then look to, uh, to a, the spiritual lesson that we gained from that also, how that uh, we were in Christ just like Eve was in Adam and brought out and given to, and given to uh, her husband. So anyway, he says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, uh, so by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered in that the offense might abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So the law, what the law did, and we've talked about this over the last number of weeks, the law that God gave into, uh, to Moses there in the mountain, what it did was it didn't make them sinners. It told them what their sins were. It revealed sin, okay, to them. It now finally comes out. Uh, if, you, if you go by what they knew up until that time, other than the moral nature that they may have been born with uh, in the image of God, uh, the only thing they knew was that Adam transgressed a law of, of God in the garden and was kicked out of the garden, and now all these other things were going on, but they had nothing written down that says, thou, thou, shalt, not, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery, thou shalt not do, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and have no other gods before him, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, thou shalt make no uh, graven images of him, and so forth. They didn't have any of that written down until Sinai. That's a long time. <laughs> uh, we talked about the other day. It's probably 3,000 years from the time of the fall in the garden to the time. Well, no, it, wasn't, it was uh, more like 22, 24, 2,200 years from the time of the garden up until the time that they were given the law at Sinai. Maybe just. 2,400, 2,600. We'd have to go back and look at the math on that. Uh, but uh, he tells us then, the law entered in that the offense might abound. Now the, the now their sins were magnified by the fact God says, here's the law, this is wrong. <laughs> now it's magnified and abounded. He says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, grace trumped sin, <laughs> if you will. Uh, for those of you that may have played cards back sometime. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, so that you go back and you look and you say, well, what, what, uh, what rises above sin? Grace rises above. It abounded more than even the sin and trumped the things that they had done. He says that as sin reigned uh, unto death, even so gr 
might grace reign through righteousness, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says death reigned, sin reigned, and it reigned to death. That's what, it, that's what it caused, not only to the spiritual death of people, but it also reigned to the physical death of people. But he says, but the righteousness of, of grace, grace reigned through the righteousness of Christ unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So he contrasts these things that have happened, sin by Adam, uh, the law condemned the sin, but grace abounded over that, and he says, even though, even though sin reigned to death, uh, he says, grace reigns to eternal life by Jesus, through righteousness and eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he asks the question. And I think the question here, beginning with chapter 6, as he's writing this letter to them, is going back and addressing the same issue that we mentioned in Romans chapter 3. And that's the reason I brought Romans 3 back up again this morning, was the fact that he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, sometimes as we're reading these letters or as we divide these letters out, we forget Paul had a reason for writing the letter. He didn't just write a random letter and say, oh, I think I'm going to tell them all about salvation by grace and all about predestination and election and so forth. He was making a point to those people. Those people had gotten off into a, uh, a, a doctrinal issue, a, a problem, a teaching issue, Part of, that, part of that issue was that the Jews and the Gentiles were struggling with each other uh, about uh, do you need to be circumcised in order, to, in order to be saved and so forth? Do you need to follow the law to a jot into a temple? And then they're over here accusing Paul of teaching that what you need to do is just sin more and more so grace gets more and more and just gets more glory to God. By, by and he's like, no. <laughs> I've got to write a letter and address, this, address these issues to the people uh, there in Rome. And it's also then good for us too today because do we, do we have tendencies, if, if we're not careful, to get legalistic, uh, almost to, uh, to get judgmental uh, and looking down on other people sometimes and saying, you know what, uh, I, do better, I do better than they do and uh, so that makes me a really super duper, uh, you know, child of God. Well... Now, get, get the right attitude, get the right spirit. Uh, the Jews were probably in that attitude toward the Gentiles. We're circumcised, and you're not. We're better, we're better than you are. We, we had the law, and you didn't have the law, and so forth. And so Paul's having to come in here and wrestle all these issues down. And the very first thing he did, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, he goes back and knocks them down to all the level playing field. Mm -hmm. You're all sinners, Jews, Gentiles. So today... You say, well, how, Brother Charles, this is all interesting. Uh, how does that play out for us? Uh, well, for you and me, uh, we look around and say, uh, regardless of our heritage, regardless of our background, in the eyes of God, we're all sinners that need saving by, by the grace of God, whether you're black or you're white or you're Republican or you're a Democrat or whether you're whatever you are, uh, you're, you're Jewish or you're European or you're Asian or whatever, whatever you are, you're a sinner. Uh, first of all, because you're, you're a sinner because of Adam, and, uh, and if by the grace of God you are in Christ Jesus, so you're also saved by his righteousness and his shed blood and his death and burial and resurrection, proving all that and his righteousness on the cross. And so he says, but what shall we say? <laughs> what shall we say to these things? Uh, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
Paul's affirmative answer, and, and you, you can, if you've got a little Bible software of some kind, you know, or something on your phone that does the Bible, and you can look up things sometimes, go in there and look how many times Paul says, God forbid. <laughs> uh, so, he, so he asked the question, as he's writing this letter to them, he asked the question, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, we're saved by grace. I mean, sometimes people have accused primitive Baptists of that over the years and saying, well, you know, if, if I believed like you believe, well, I'd just do anything I wanted to do. Well, you know what? If God has written his laws on your heart and your mind and convicts you of the things that you think and say and do, you're not going to want to do just any old thing. And uh, that's not giving glory and honor to God for one thing. Uh, and so, so he says, uh, God forbid, God forbid that we should continue in sin. You know, the, and that's what he goes on to talk about now in 6 and 7. 6, he talks about how, uh, one, we don't need to continue in sin. 7, he talks about the struggle that we have because we're a twofold man. Uh, we're, both a, we're both a child of God and we're also still a natural man. As long as we're still here in this world, you have your sin nature still with you. And Paul recognizes the fact that all of us have a struggle here in this life. Now, I want to add this to the struggle. Now, Paul says, man, uh, it's tough sometimes to, to try to do those things that are right. But you know what? I remind, As I was thinking of this, I was also reminded of a scripture that says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So as we're, as we're struggling, remember, when, a, when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you have a new life living within you. You have a new spirit living within you, a new motivation within you to, to do that which is good, which you didn't have before. Now then, uh, how do you, how do you uh, live more in that? You stay in the Scriptures. You study the Scriptures. You follow after the things of the Word of God. You follow His commandments, not what you think in your heart, uh, which is kind of like the popular thing of today, you know, is like uh, people, well, as long as I, I do it sincerely and do it from my heart, it must be right. Now, you can sincerely do a bunch of evil stuff from the heart, okay? And, uh, and uh, so he tells us here, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He makes the point. You have died to the... To the uh, to the, uh, I guess, the penalties of sin uh, by Jesus' death on the cross. But sin has also died in you a little bit by the new birth. And so he talks about, uh, Know ye not, uh, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Uh, just looking at some things, over, again, over the last day or so and reading some things and looking at this. Uh, again, going back to this point, and you can go, I'm, I'll let you go read Ephesians chapter 1, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But this is not talking about water baptism. Every time you see baptism in the scripture, it's not talking about being baptized and joining the church and uh, following after him. This is talking about being in Christ Jesus. And, and, and such, you were submerged, if you will, into his death. Uh, and, he, and he goes on, I think, and makes that clear as we go through this. Know ye not that so many of us, who is the us? It's God's children, those that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. A great innumerable host of people that no man can number. Uh, he says, know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death 
that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, or in like manner, we should walk in newness of life. So uh, we were baptized into his death, and the fact that he came forth from the grave victorious uh, and was raised up to, to walk again is evidence that everyone that was in Christ that was baptized into his death is also going to be resurrected in the new birth and also resurrected at the second coming. The body will be resurrected. But it also, I think, is pointing in this particular case that you're going to have a resurrection that happens in your life called the new birth. You're going to, a man who was dead and trespasses and sins is made alive, uh, quickened, if you will, as Paul says in the Ephesian letter, quickened and given a new birth, a new life. And so as that happens to you, he says, those of us who were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So he's answering that question. Shall, I, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. God forbid. You're to walk in newness of life. You've been changed. God's done something good for you. Uh, I was thinking about this, over, and we'll kind of get into this maybe a little bit more. I know sometimes my, my thinking of examples and things runs ahead sometimes of even where I am in the scriptures. Uh, but I was thinking about this. Can you imagine, and I, I'm not saying this never happens either, by the way, uh, but I, can you imagine somebody that committed something that was worthy of the death penalty? And they had their death penalty comm commuted. Done away, and and not only commuted, but set free. Uh, they were they were worthy and deserving of the death penalty, but for whatever reason, we're just going to say it that way. For whatever reason, they were set free, and their sin, their sentence was commuted, and they were set free. Can you imagine the joy they would have, and the dedication they would they should have? toward the thing or the purpose or whatever it was that set them free from that death penalty. Can you imagine that? Now, can, can you imagine going back and doing the same thing again and having the death sentence commuted back on put back on you again? I think there's a point to this in, in the fact that he's saying, you know what? You were, you were buried and baptized in the death of Christ. You've been raised again to walk in newness of life. Don't go back and chase after the same old things that made you uh, seemingly happy before. Walk in newness. Walk in following after him. For he says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. The, the body's going to be destroyed because of the work he did on the cross. The body's going to be laid down. You're going to be resurrected one of these days. Uh, uh, and he says, uh, so we shouldn't be serving sin. Sin shouldn't be our purpose anymore. Just like that person who had his death sentence commuted there on death row. He says, you've been set free. Don't serve sin anymore. Serve after the thing that sets you free. Right? And that's kind of the point of, all, of part of what Paul is making here. So he says, "For he that is dead, for he that is dead is freed from sin. But if, he, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. We've been we've been uh, we've been set free from these old uh, sinful bodies, and so now what we need to be doing is living after Him, serving Him. That becomes our purpose." 
That becomes our life. That becomes what makes us uh, more joyful, more happy. Today, I think you can look around the, around the world. You've got a lot of people that are living empty lives because they're trying to serve things that don't make them happy. They're trying, to, they're trying to serve after the drugs. They're trying to serve after the alcohol. They're trying to serve after the sexual, sexual relations, all those things. And they keep looking and looking and looking, and all they find is more misery, more depression, more, uh, more down and out because they're chasing after the wrong, the wrong thing. So he tells us here, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, Death hath no dominion, no, uh, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So his his life, he died. Our sins were placed upon him. He died once. He's alive now, and he lives under under the glory of God. For he says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He makes this, it's kind of a comparison, a contrast and comparison, if you will. Christ died for our sins. He died once. He says, you've also died to sin because Christ died for you. And as he's living for God, you're also to live for God, just like he's seated down on the right hand of the throne of God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it to the lust thereof. Now, so in case somebody gets the idea, and I don't know that this may be, I hopefully know this idea goes to you. Well, you know, uh, God's, I've been baptized in Christ, I've been resurrected by the new birth to a new life in Christ. God's done all this for me. God's going to keep me you know, from, from falling off and, and from following after sin. No, he calls on us to be obedient. Right. It's about, it's about we, we now have the ability to be obedient. Now he calls on us to be obedient in following after him. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. He wouldn't warn you that it was possible to follow the lust of the body if it wasn't possible to follow the lust of the body, okay? He warns us, don't be obedient to those things. Be obedient to Christ. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He's calling on us. What are your, what are your instruments? I'm gonna tell, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> These are your instruments. For one thing, your hands. Your eyes, your legs, uh, your mind, uh, all of these things are instruments of your body. They're members of your body. I'll put it that way. They're members of your body, and these members have to be controlled. Your tongue is an instrument. Your tongue has to be controlled. And, and he calls on us that we, since we've been raised, raised up to a new life in Christ Jesus, don't obey, don't chase after the old man. It's kind of like Paul's argument in Ephesians and in Colossians where he says, uh, put off the old man and put on the new man. Uh, you've, been, uh, you've been raised up from the dead, from a death in sins to a life in Christ through the new birth. God's written his laws in your heart and on your mind. Now you've got an ability uh, to discern, better discern right from wrong. Chase after the right and not after the wrong. 
chase after the things of God. Pursue them, uh, desire them uh, uh, more and more every day. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Can you, can you, I, I want you, maybe you get this as, as you're reading along with me or whatever, but he says, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. You've had your death sentence commuted. Live like it. Be a, live in the freedom and the, and the liberty that God has given you. But that, doesn't, that liberty doesn't mean liberty to go out and do anything you want to. It means liberty to love him, care for him, Think about what God has done for you. And he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? <laughs> you know, if your motivation for for uh, if your motivation for doing right was, oh, I'm gonna get in big trouble if I do wrong. So I better not do wrong so I don't get in trouble. That's what the law said. The law said you sin, you get stoned, or you, or, you, or you sin to do certain things, you have to go make certain sacrifices, you have to go give to certain people. So sometimes if people weren't careful, and this particularly addresses the Jewish part of the congregation here, but it addresses us today. Why are you doing what's right? Well, I don't want to get in trouble. Wait a minute. That's kind of a good way to look at it is I don't want to get in trouble. But you know what a better motivation is? I want to please God. I want to do what's right because I want to please him. I'm under his grace. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm not under this thing that says if you don't do this, you're going to get certain punishments along the way. I'm living in, a grace, in the grace and mercy of God. But I want to do it because I love him. The greatest, the greatest motivation in, uh, in all of us at one time, some of us it's been a little longer than maybe others in the congregation, uh, but there, uh, but uh, all of us were children at one point in time, right? And we've got some children in the congregation and uh, young folks in the congregation. It's not that far removed from when they were when they were young. But you know, the greatest motivation for the child is not, "I'm not going to do this because I'm going to get in trouble, mom and daddy." I'm going to do this because I love them. I'm going to do what's right, what they've taught me, what they've trained me, how they've led me. I, I do it because I love them, and I know it's going to please them that if I do, if I do this and I don't do that. What a great that, that love and, and care and, and so forth is the great motivation uh, for, for actually for our lives as God's children is because we love him and we're thankful to him. Think about this motivation. I'm thankful for my Heavenly Father. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ because He died for me. He saved me. He loved me so much that He left aside glory and lived in a sin-cursed world and had my sin and the punishment that I deserve placed on Him. So, oh, what a love. Can, uh, today we think about uh, the agape love, the sacrificial love, how we're to sacrifice one for another in our marriages and for our family and for our children. But the greatest sacrificial love that ever was was on the cross. And, uh, and because he, uh, uh, you think about the, not only, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you look at the movies and so forth, the things that they do today, uh, you know, the, uh, you'll say, oh, but look at the beating that he took from the Roman soldiers. And look at that, that, crown of thorns that they placed on his head and the misery and the blood and the pain. 
But I'm going to challenge you to say, to think even like this. There were three hours that day that he hung on the cross where the earth went dark because the heavenly father turned his back on his son. He couldn't, he couldn't, look, he couldn't bear to look upon the sin that had been placed upon him, our sin that he was bearing that day. And I'll tell you, the separation from one that he had been with throughout all eternity, the, the father that he loved was such a great and it, it, it's like going to a place you've ne a place of darkness you've never been before. And I'm, ima I'm imagining this somewhat in my own mind because I can't tell you that I can explain it all. I can just tell you that he was left there that day, uh, bearing the cross, shedding his blood, being the high priest, being our elder brother, being that lamb of God uh, uh, that was uh, sacrificing himself for you and me, all because he loved us. Now then, what's mine your what's mine your motivation? Uh, can you imagine having a, a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad that loved you so much they gave their life for you? I mean, I, I want us to. This is our husband. He gave his life for us on the cross. Uh, he wants us not to say, I, "I'm going to I'm going to love him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this way because I really don't want to get in trouble." What? <laughs> you ought to do it because of the great love he has for you, and you're returning that love. Isn't that the, isn't that the great motivation of a marriage? A lot of times is is they've done for you and done and done, and now you want to return that. Not so you don't get in trouble tonight. And he says the biscuits are burned, or what? You know, uh, you want to actually you want to actually do this because you love them and care for them. All right, well, I've really carried on with that, right? So, so he tells us here, what, shall, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. There's that word again. We shouldn't do it because we're under grace or and not under, because we're under grace and not under the law. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, are of obedience unto righteousness. Now, I'm going to make this point. There's a lot of deaths mentioned in, in the Bible. Uh, there's, a, there's a natural physical death. There's a spiritual death. Uh, there's also a death we have to the joys and pleasures of God. You know, we, we go back and we look in the Old Testament scriptures and David uh, had committed adultery uh, over there with Bathsheba. And, uh, and not only that, but... Uh, uh, he had had Bathsheba's husband carried to the front lines of the battle and so that he would die, so that to, trying to cover up his sin of adultery. Uh, and, and, and this all seems like a quandary to us at times. I think the seventh chapter of the book of, of Romans may explain it a little bit better for us, that the quandary that David, a man the Bible describes as being a man after God's own heart, Yet at the same time, he fell off into this terrible sin. And as he records in Psalm 51, as he's mourning over this separation, if you will, that he's feeling from the, from the presence of God, that uh, he had enjoyed all the days of his life, that God had been with him and led him and directed him. And now suddenly, David puts down on paper and says, Lord, return to me the joy of thy salvation. I have... I have died to the joy of your salvation, Lord. I haven't died to your salvation. I've died to the joy of your salvation. I'm not enjoying what you've done for me anymore. Why? Because sin is separated between you and me. 
And now suddenly you're keeping me at hand's distance and I don't like it. I, 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 I don't feel it. He says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death. There's a death that we can experience right here in this life. I'm talking about God's children now. A death where we're separated from God's loving favor and presence. And we don't feel that spiritual shroud around us anymore. And so he, he tells us here, you're the servant of who you obey. <laughs> you say, wait a minute. So, so who are you obeying? Am I, am I obeying the leadings of my own mind? Well, maybe I'm the servant of my own mind. Am I, am I a servant to the popular teachings of the day? Uh, am, I, am, I, uh, am I a servant to those things that all my friends say I should do? <laughs> am I a servant? To, and all of these things are against the word of God, right? My mind is against the word of God at times. My, my friends and the things they're teaching me are against the word of God. The things that man teaches us out here in the world about how you should respond when somebody mistreats you. Uh, how you ought to get them back uh, and make sure they pay for it. Uh, all those things... You're a servant to whom you obey. And if you obey sin, he says, that's whose servant you are. He said, but whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. When we're obedient to the things of the righteousness of God, that's whose servant we are. And he says, but God be thanked that you, that you were the servants of sin, but ye obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Uh, I don't think the Apostle Paul is here saying that they were no longer sinners. He's just saying you now begin to serve and obey the one that set you, set you free. And he says, and you followed after the doctrine that was delivered to you. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and, to, and iniquity unto iniquity... Even so, in like manner, just like when you were a natural man before you were a, a child of God, before you were born again of his spirit, uh, or before you knew the things of the spirit, of the teachings of the things of God, it was just iniquity unto iniquity, sin unto sin. That's, you were just going from one to the other to the other. And he says, after the manner of men speak I because of the infirmity of your flesh, for ye have yielded your members' servants up to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so, even so now, yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Why? Because it'll benefit you. It'll be a blessing unto you in your life to yield yourself to, to righteousness. Don't yield yourself to iniquity and to sin and to following after those things. Yield to the things of the righteousness and the holiness of God. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit then, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, you were bringing forth a lot of fruit, but it wasn't, it wasn't love, joy, peace, long suffering, and those things. You were bringing forth fruit that was actually a death to you, a separation to you. Our sins and iniquities are separating us from the things of God. He says, what fruit had you then in those things? Where have you You're now ashamed of them. What fruit did you have in those things? You're now ashamed of For the end of those things is death. And I think that's, again, it's reemphasizing this point. There's a death that we can experience right here in this life to 
to the joys and things of to the things of God. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have fruit unto unto holiness and and the and the end everlasting life. You know. Uh, a lot of people would take that course of scripture teaches well when you have all these fruits of righteousness that it get, it gets you eternal life. Well, it does, uh, but not in the sense of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. When Christ died and redeemed you by His shed blood, He purchased your eternal life and, and determined that you were going to be with Him one of these days. But you know what? I need to I need to lay hold on eternal life while I'm here. <laughs> I want to live in that eternal life now. I, that's that, uh, I think I started this a few weeks ago with this portion of scripture from over in the, uh, the book of Colossians. And since I don't want to miss, misquote it, I'll turn over there real quick. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You've got a life right now. It's not this physical body life. It's the spiritual life. It's the eternal life that was given to you and placed in you by the Holy Spirit when you were born again from above. Now then, so what does he tell us? Now being made free from sin, become servants to God. And become, uh, and become servants of God. Ye have, your fruit unto, and ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Uh, before I get to that last verse of that sixth chapter, I want to just go back and, and, mention, and mention this this morning. Many of you have, have no doubt, you've probably heard me preach on it over the years, but uh, maybe you've read, I hope you've read also the 15th chapter of the book of John. If you've read the 15th chapter of the book of John, what you've found over there is Jesus talking to his disciples about, uh, about uh, the vine and the branches and how, and how he is... He's the, uh, he's the root, that his father is the husbandman. And he says, and you're to, be, you're to be bringing forth much fruit. Well, you know what? A lot of times we get the idea, I'm thinking, I think we do. <laughs> we get the idea that the fruit is for our benefit. <laughs> you know what? You know, what the, you know who, the fruit, who the benefit of the fruit is? It's the master of the vineyard. Mm -hmm. Whoa. That changes it, doesn't it? Doesn't that, change, doesn't that change the way you look at it? You're supposed to be bearing fruit. But it's not so you can go around and say, look at all the fruit I got. No, the fruit is unto holiness and unto God and unto righteousness and unto him. Our fruit is for the master of the vineyard. And we can't even brag about being, being branches because we're into the vine. And he's the vine and you're the branches. Jesus Christ is the vine. He's the root. And so it's through his sustaining life of the root and the vine that the branches bring forth fruit. And... Uh, you know, me and I think I've told this earlier. That I'll tell it real quick. Me and Dar, me and Dar decided this year we were going to grow some tomato plants, and so we planted planted some tomatoes in some pots in the back, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And those those branches on there eventually have little flowers that come out on them. And so we're going out and we're looking at those little flowers, and we're waiting for the fruit. <clears throat> you know, and uh, and the next thing you know, the little fruit swivels up. No, uh, the little the little flower swivels up. No fruit. Doris is like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "I don't know." 
I've never, I've never seen little flowers on the tomato plants that didn't end up making tomatoes on the end of them uh, that I can remember. And uh, so we get online, we go to read, and of course we know the thing's got to be pollinated, of course, right? But I never knew you had to, you might have to do something to get them to pollinate. So then we read, you know, you can squirt a little saline salt on them and that'll do something, you know, or you get out there and gently shake them, you know, and that'll pollinate, get the pollen all stirred up inside there. And next thing you know, we got tomatoes on the plants. Uh, and, uh, and we're like, wow, that was good. Uh, we learned something new about making, getting fruit to come on the branches. Sometimes you got to be shook up a little bit. Sometimes you got to be shook up in the right way. But you, but you know what? It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter to get shook up and you're not still anchored in the vine. No good. Okay? You still, you, it's just going to fall off and wither. No fruit. And you know who gets the benefit of all that? Not the little branch that's bearing your tomato plant. The owners, of, the owners of the vineyard, we're the ones that get the benefit. When we finally get some fruit out of it, from it getting shook up and bearing fruit, it's us that gets the benefit from it. It's the master of the vineyard that gets the benefit, and it's God that gets the benefit out of us serving, serving him. So he says, What fruit had you then in those things wherever you're now shamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin... Become, and become servants of God. Ye have fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. Uh, that's, that's going to play out of it. It's no, no way it's not going to happen. You're going to enjoy that life everlasting. And then he says this. For the way, and he tells you, tells you how it all works. For the wages of sin is death. And that's, I think that's a, 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 now, a now death that could be looked on as even a, a, a death uh, that, uh, that, that people are going to experience at the end of this life sometime or another. In other words, wages are what you earn by what you do. The wages of sin is death. And I think that's true right here in this life that we live in too. That when we continue in sin, we just experience death and separation from God. But then he goes on and says this, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we understand this morning what a gift is? A gift is not a proposition. Uh, if you do this, I'll do this. That's not what that's not what a what a gift is. A gift is something you give that's with uh, with nothing you could do in return for it to, to obtain it. It's a gift that's given unto you. So the wages of sin, that's what you and I earn. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'll tell you, if we if knowing what He's done for us and knowing how much love He had for us, let us let us love Him and produce righteousness and holiness in our life, so that we can better serve, be His better branches, bear fruit in our life, serve Him, love Him, be thankful every day. You know what? Uh, it's not just that He died some 2,000 years ago on a cross in Jerusalem and, uh, and died for you. But he's, sitting, he's seated on the right hand of the throne of God right now, interceding for his bride, interceding for you and me as we bring those prayers that Brother Derek's talked about this morning, as we come and offer, make our prayers to him. He's there. He's there. He's the, he's the, the one that's right in the middle of all those prayers, uh, making sure the Holy Spirit is communicating to him and the Father, and the Father hears and understands and knows the 
things that we stand in need of. And sometimes he's saying no, and sometimes he's saying yeah. And then sometimes he's saying no, and sometimes he's saying yes. Uh, and uh, he's hearing and understanding our prayers. And you say, well, that's a great benefit to me today that God hears my prayers. But you know what? Not only that, he's going to come back and get you one of these days and take you home to be with the Father forever and ever and ever. What a love we have. What a, what a Savior we have. What a husband we have that loves us. Now he asks us love, love in return. And, and love is not just saying you love them. It's showing every day by what you do. May God bless you. I, I thought I might get into the seventh chapter. Looks like that's going to come around uh, later. We're going to keep going through this book of Romans. And think, of, think again uh, as we're talking about this. He's writing to a church that's struggling, trying to get over the law trying to get over, uh, I say, I'll put, think of the church being split, okay? Half Jews, half Gentiles. Think of that. you got half the congregation that's struggling to get over the things they've been taught in the past so they can really serve God like they should. And then you've got the other group, the other half of them, they're just struggling to get to know what it is they need to do. And the whole time, there's infighting going on between the two groups about, you're not doing it the way we said to do it, and you're not doing it the way I think it ought to be done, and so forth. And, and so there's this tension then between them that's going, that's going on. <clears throat> Ever seen any tension in a marriage? People, people, people are there in the, in, the, in the midst of things, and there's struggles going on. He talks about that in this very next portion of the seventh chapter. So you read ahead next week. Read that seventh chapter and you say, hmm, and there'll be some things that probably make you wonder, what's it, what is it talking about? Uh, but as Lord, if the Lord will bless, we'll try to explain some of that next Sunday as we continue to go through this. A great book that's laid out here that Paul wrote to the Roman people. A wonderful lesson of, of how to love one another, care for one another, and love God and all the time telling you what God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself. May God bless you is our prayer. And uh, so thankful to be able to bring this to you. Pray for us. Pray for one another uh, as we go throughout this coming week. May God bless you is our prayer.